Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together. Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Bread of the War podcast, going verse by verse through the, bo- through the Bible. <coughs> well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Bread of the War podcast, where we go at Fontes, to the fountain, to the Word of God, to be nourished and sustained by all that God is. My name is Tyler, and we are continuing to dive into the book of Ecclesiastes. And we have come to chapter 10, and as we continue towards the end of this book... Um, We've got three chapters left. We're, we're trucking along here. And as we come towards the end of this book, Solomon lays out a lot of poetry. And from where we are in chapter 10, we will not see a free verse segment until the end of chapter 12. The rest of it is poetic verse through and through. Nonetheless, there are natural divisions in here in what follows and thematic changes as the poem progresses. But we're coming to a section that is deep, intense Hebrew poetry. And here Solomon speaks more to the relation between wisdom and folly. He's continuing to draw out application of what we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he starts off in verse 5 with, There is an evil I have seen under the sun, an error proceeding from the presence of, of the ruler. The fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. I have seen slaves on horses, but princes walking on the ground like slaves. And that portion um, is what some would call a chiasm, which is to say that the order of words is kind of flip-flopped to expand on the idea of one of a line. And so these lines kind of complement each other by putting things in different orders. So you have like an A, B, B, A kind of layout here. Now we see this in jazz music, if you're a, a jazz person, like that song by Miles Davis, um, Nardis, has an A-A-B-A format, um, similar concept. Um, but the, the evil, he says, is that the fool is appointed to great heights, but the rich remain in lowly positions. It's ironic, isn't it? But before we look at that with a lens of social activism, which is... The tendency, and I had to kind of double back on it myself, it helps to keep in mind the context of Ecclesiastes. In the ancient East, the general idea was that rich people were wise. Um, we've seen this in Ecclesiastes with that word hakma, uh, which we translate as wisdom. It literally means technical skill. It's sometimes likened to skill in battle. 
And the, the sentiment expressed here by Solomon is that people uh, that are is people being placed where they don't belong, that the wise are not leading, they're not the influencers, though they have the skill set to do so. The fools lead and the wise serve. It's not exactly a recipe for success, and I think that's what Solomon is getting at here, is the irony of life under the sun, that wisdom is not valued, wisdom is not a priority. And so the wise are the servants, the, the leaders are serving, and the fools lead. And that reminds us of Proverbs 23. <clears throat> One thing that's interesting about this portion here in chapter 10 is it's very akin to the Proverbs, which is also written by Solomon. But Proverbs 23, verse 19 says, Listen, my son, and be wise. Keep your mind on the right course. Do not associate with those who drink too much wine or with those who gorge themselves on meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will become poor and grogginess will clothe them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and don't despise your mother when she is old. Buy and do not sell. Truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of a righteous son will rejoice greatly, and the one who fathers a wise son will delight in him. Let your father and mother have joy, and let her who gave birth to you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, and a wayward woman is a narrow well. Indeed, she sets an ambush like a robber, and increases the number of unfaithful people. That is a... That, that's a very pointed set of observations from, from Proverbs. And it's very much in line with what we're seeing here, with um, the snare of foolishness, as we've seen in the last couple chapters, even. And that idea of the pit comes up in verse 8 of Ecclesiastes 10. The one who digs a pit may fall into it, and the one who breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. The one who quarries stones may be hurt by them. The one who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and one does not sharpen his edge, then one must exert more strength. However, the advantage of hakma, of wisdom, is that it brings success. All that to say that wisdom informs our undertakings. Wisdom makes us aware of caveats, which is what Proverbs is chock full of, is caveats and warnings and admonitions. But wisdom has a source, and wisdom can be trusted in the midst of such caveats. Why? Because of its author. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For teaching wisdom and discipline, for understanding insightful sayings, for receiving prudent instruction in righteousness, justice, and integrity, for teaching shrewdness to the inexperienced, knowledge and discretion to a young man. Let a wise person listen and increase understanding, and let a discerning person obtain guidance. For understanding a proverb or a parable, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's a preface, basically. That's, that's his stated intentions. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. James 3.16 says, for there is envy and selfish ambition. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, 
then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Wisdom that is derived from ourselves is flippant. It is a product of the winds of change and culture and preference, oftentimes. But the wisdom that is of God is eternal and effective and altogether true. As it says in Revelation 21, these words are faithful and true. And so we can be certain that about wisdom, about the pursuit of wisdom as being worthwhile. Why? Because of the God who wrote it, the God who gives it. If any man seek wisdom, let him ask God for it. Because God is the author of wisdom. What Solomon is laying out here is that wisdom has value. Wisdom is to be treasured, not just in Ecclesiastes, but in Proverbs, in, in the Old Testament. There's an entire genre of the Old Testament dedicated to wisdom. There is a treasure in wisdom and being wise. But this pursuit of wisdom is not for the wisdom itself, but for the God who gave us wisdom. If the axe is dull and does not sharpen its edge, then one must exert more strength. In other words, when you're not as smart, things get harder. When you don't apply wisdom to things, things get unnecessarily difficult, oftentimes. Wisdom is a constant pursuit. And when we, when we become lazy in that pursuit, things get harder because we are working with a dull axe. Um, the Greeks spoke of something they called arete. We translate that word as virtue. An ideal of what man should be, ought to be, and must be for the good of society and for himself. An ideal that all must strive towards, but will never arrive at. That it's uh, the, the pursuit of arete is in the pursuit itself, not in being the perfect man, but striving towards something. And in Christianity, we call that sanctification. We use different terminology, different vernacular, and different uh, presuppositions. But the idea of sanctification is that we are pursuing the character and heart of Christ, knowing full well that we will not be completely sanctified this side of eternity. Second Peter chapter 1 says, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness, through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us, by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. That is... Sorry, I had a mic issue here. So that is the... That's the root of this pursuit that he's laying out in Second Peter. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, meaning we're striving towards these things, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. 
The person who lacks these things is blind, short-sighted, and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. And when he says supplement your faith with goodness, that word we're translating as goodness in, this, in the Christian Standard Bible is a version of arete. It is aretes, but it is a different, it's a different, um, different variation of the word. I believe that's genitive, but it's the same concept. He's using that illustration because there's some truth to it. And so the risk of being slothful in our pursuit of godly arete does remain. The New Testament contains many warnings against getting comfortable in our station, that we are to continually endeavor to learn more, to lean more into Christ and to know him more, to learn of him who is meek and lowly at heart. Hebrews contains several passages concerning apostasy among the brethren. In chapter three and four, uh, says, with whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief, speaking of the Israelites. Therefore, since the promise to enter this rest remains, let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping what he has said, so I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all his works. Again, in that passage he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day. Today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his good works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. That is a scathing rebuke right there, of sloth in the Christian pursuit. Um, Dan Self from the Truth and Love podcast um, knocks it out of the park walking through this text on this week's episode of the Truth and Love podcast. I will drop a link to that in the uh, description if you want to check that out. But he and Rob Knipe were talking about what we mean by the phrase, the Word of God. And they went to Hebrews. And they gave, gave some time to laying out the gospel from Hebrews 4. And it was a fantastic episode. I would definitely encourage you to check it out. Um, Friends of the Truth and Love Network. But what does all this have to do with Ecclesiastes? Because wisdom is not something to be acquired. Wisdom is not a thing that we necessarily possess. It's not the, the value of wisdom is not in possessing it, but an ideal to be strived towards constantly. Why? Because it draws us closer to the character and heart of Christ. 
as Jesus himself said, you read the law of Moses, but you do not understand, because it was written of me. Sanctification draws us to Christ. Therefore, it is a lifestyle of leaning into Christ. And that is something that we tend to miss in our pursuit of Christ, is that that's what it is. It is loving what he loves, hating what he hates, and spreading those two out. Verse 10 of Ecclesiastes 10 says that the advantage of wisdom is that it brings success. And that's not a prosperity gospel notion. That's not that we get earthly success, but that there is value and wisdom that is to be seen. The, the Old Testament does affiliate, um, does conflate success with obedience. That is a thing. While we don't see that as much in the New Testament, there is a general understanding in the Old Testament that the righteous will be rewarded. Maybe not in financial, in this life, but there are times when that does happen. And I think that's what Solomon is alluding to, that there are times where God rewards the righteous. But the book of Ecclesiastes also speaks at great length to sometimes the righteous are not rewarded, sometimes the wicked are rewarded. But the general principle is that goodness is rewarded, and such is wisdom. Verse 11, if the snake bites before it is charmed, then there is no advantage for the charmer. The words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Yet the fool multiplies words. No one knows what will happen, and who can tell anyone what will happen after him? The struggles of fools weary him, weary them. Sorry, for they don't know how to go to the city. There's a lot in there. Again, we're back to caveats. If a snake bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. It makes no sense to have wisdom, to pursue wisdom, if we're not willing to apply wisdom. If the charmer is not able to charm the snake and the snake bites him, it doesn't really matter if he can charm snakes. Wisdom, re wisdom requires application. Um, again, I refer to the book of James. Um, let's do what it says. Um, do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And this is one of the common themes in the book of James is... Take this wisdom and do it. If any man he hears these words of mine and does them, he builds his house on the rock. That is, that is the idea here. The words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but the, the lips of a fool consume him. This is, the, this is the weight of what we have here. This is... We've got two roads here, and they do not go to the same place. We've got the way of wisdom and the way of folly. And they do not go the same way. Because blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But what his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruits in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. 
goes on to say, The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the, the wicked shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That is our conundrum here, is which way are we going? The beginning of the words from his mouth is folly, but the end of his speaking is evil madness. Proverbs 26 is the one who hires a fool or who hires those passing by is like an archer who wounds everyone indiscriminately. As a dog returns to its vomit, so also a fool repeats his foolishness. Do you see a person who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs 13 says, Desire fulfilled is sweet to the taste, but to turn from evil is detestable to fools. The one who walks with the wise, says, will become wise. But a companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but good rewards the righteous. The fool does not go where he should, but goes where he should not go. Our folly reveals our need for sanctification. That we need to be made different. We need to be different. We need to be changed on the inside. That we are not this fool whose own words consume him. Paul writes of an internal battle with sin in, in Romans 7. And he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. He goes on to say, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? We need to be delivered from ourselves, from our own folly, from our own foolishness. Back to Ecclesiastes, it says, Woe to you, land, when your, land, when your king is a youth, and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, land, when your king is a son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time. For strength and not for drunkenness. Because of laziness, the roof caves in, and because of neg negligent hands, the roof leaks. A feast is prepared for laughter, and wine makes life happy. And money is the answer for everything. What is presented here is a, is a conundrum of reconciling how things are with how things ought to be. While it is a blessing to have a noble ruler who is disciplined and reserved, one who has denied passions for the sake of virtue and uprightness, that is not often the case. When we look at history or even the present human experience, we see wicked men on thrones, men who lack wisdom, nations, leading nations and communities. Why? To that I turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. 
verse 11. It says, This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven, so that you have to ask, Who will go up to heaven and get it for us and proclaim it to us that we may follow it? And it is not across the sea, so that you have to ask, Who will cross the sea, get it for us, and proclaim it to us that we may follow it? But the message is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away you, and you do not listen and are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. Okay, so we've got a pretty tangible caveat here to the Israelites. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life. And he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give you, to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if we follow that story, what happens after Deuteronomy? We've got Joshua, and Joshua's, Joshua's alright. Joshua had some issues he had to work through, but... Then we get to, then Joshua dies, and we get to Judges. And the key phrase in the book of Judges is, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what seemed right to him. Jeremiah 2 says that for my people, many generations later, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. This is why we see the wicked elevated. We forsake the fountain of life, the ways of Yahweh for other paths. We forge our own path through the valleys of our own sins. The existence of wicked, foolish leaders is but a demonstration of what exists in all of us. For in Adam all died. Many of the people of Israel missed it, and often we do too. This is why we need to be taught of Christ, to be taught by Christ. In him is perfect wisdom and righteousness, for there it is very heart. The pursuit of wisdom leads us to the very heart and character of Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, cited it earlier, For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for forty years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains, let us beware. Um, other translation says, let us therefore fear, lest none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest, in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest, even though his works have been fulfilled, 
have been finished since the foundation of the world. Again, I point you to Robin Dan's uh, breakdown of that text in uh, on the Truth and Love podcast yesterday. And they actually asked an interesting question that I would like to give time to. And they asked me to give time to the meaning of the name The Bread of the Word Podcast. And simply put, I got the name from Matthew 4.4 4, and consequently Deuteronomy 8, chap- chapter 8, verse 3. Deuteronomy 8.3, as we redirect, go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, carefully follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to your fathers. Remember that the Lord your God led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not swell these forty years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. So keep the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams, springs, and deep water sources flowing in both valleys and hills, a land of wheat, barley, vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without shortage, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron and from whose hills you will mine copper. When you eat and are full, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Moses is exhorting a new generation of Israelites to learn from the mistakes of their ancestors, to honor God, to believe God, and thereby enter the promised land, enter his rest. And so in closing, let us consider how this text draws us to Christ. Clement of Alexandria um, puts it this way, One who possesses the word who is Almighty God, needs nothing and never lacks any of the things he desires. For the word is an infinite possession and the source of all our wealth. However, some may object and insist that he has often seen the just in need of food. This is rare and happens only where no one else is just. Let him read the beautiful sentence, It is not by bread alone that the just man lives, but by the word of the Lord, who is the true bread, the bread of heaven. The good man is never really in want as long as he keeps intact his adherence to faith in God, for he can ask for and receive whatever he needs from the Father of all. And he can enjoy whatever belongs to him if only he obeys his Son. Then, too, he has this advantage, that he can be free from feeling any want. The Word, who acts as our educator, gives us riches. There is no need to envy the wealth of others with those who have gained freedom from want through him. He who possesses this sort of wealth will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Clement is not necessarily saying that the the, the good people will be rich, but that there is a different kind of wealth that is possessed by those who are in Christ, that we will not be in want as the world is, but that we will be filled by Christ in the ways that only he can. 
when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, he is tempted to make bread out of the stones because he is the Son of God. When Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is a direct citation from Deuteronomy 8. That is where that originates. Is the manna was, a, was an object lesson, guys. He humbled you and gave you manna, that you may learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. If we go ahead to John, to John chapter 6, we see this fleshed out a bit further. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, speaking to people that followed him after he'd fed one of the multitudes, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs, not, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of, of approval on him. And they asked, What can we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus replied, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he has sent. What sign, then, are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? They asked, What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat, which is a citation of Exodus 16. And Jesus said to them, to, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one comes, who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who, comes, who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That I should not lose, that I should lose none of those who were he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so, in short, we are not fed by the symbols or ideas of bread or manna or whatever. We are not nourished spiritually by physical bread but by a person from whom the words of scripture proceed and flow we are fed nourished and sustained by christ's person and work our redeemer is a living redeemer and that is what bread of the word where bread of the word gets his name from the reality that we are fed spiritually not by physical bread we are fed by a person who came down from the glories of heaven put on human flesh and dwelled among us in order that he might die for sin suffer the wrath of God for a wretched sinners such as you and I that we would be reconciled to God through that work 
and we are continually fed and sustained by his words through this book. Come unto this Redeemer for mercy and grace today. Job chapter 19 says, I wish that my words were written down, for they were recorded on a scroll, that they were recorded on a scroll, or were inscribed in stone forever by an iron stylus and lead. But I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the end he will stand on the dust, even after my skin has been destroyed, yet I will see God in my flesh. I will see him myself. My eyes will look at him, and not as a stranger. My heart longs with me. If you say, how will we pursue him, since the root of the problem lies with him? Then be afraid of the sword, because wrath brings punishment by the sword, so that you may know there is judgment. That God, Christ, is Redeemer, and he is Judge. But for those of us who have received his mercy through the grace of his cross, we do not know him as our judge but to which we stand condemned, but we know him as our living redeemer through which we have obtained mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you have become my people. Once you had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. That's First Peter chapter 1. So the Bread of the Word podcast gets its name from the reality that we are fed by God through his Son. He gave us this book. He gave us these words so that we would know the person and be fed by the person of Christ. And I implore you today to come unto that person for the mercy that you need. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Welcome to the Bread of the Word podcast, a podcast striving to feast on God's Word and let the Bible speak to us all. Let us, as a former generation said, go ad fontes to the fountain and be nourished and sustained by all that God is. Let's dig in together.